I'm a Watford supporter. It's who I am. I know. I want to... It's May the 5th, 1969. They're on their way back from watching Watford at Mansfield. They are in his Austin 1800. But they're upside down. The windscreen in front of him is shattered. Just before he passes out, he sees Jack. He's dead. What comes next is like a disturbed sleep. He can't tell whether he's awake or dreaming. He has no sense of time. What feels like lucidity doesn't make sense. Sometimes he's looking down on Watford fans wearing clothes from decades ago. Sometimes he's watching Jack, wonderful Jack, his best friend since boyhood, laughing and joking with other people. The images come and go, but it's always as if he's hovering above Occupation Road, the service road that runs down the slope beside Watford's home stadium. Eventually, his world fades to white. He guesses he's dead now. He can't see a thing, but he doesn't feel scared. He feels an inner peace that reminds him of... reminds him of the time he and Jack tried LSD after an away game at Brighton. That's better. His memory is coming back now. That day in Brighton was an adventure, all right. Six or seven months back, that was. October 1968. A 1-0 win. Terry Garbett. Now the whiteness becomes a mist and evaporates. This is much better. He feels sharper. He's definitely on Occupation Road. He can feel it beneath his feet. He's in a twilight on the tarmac between the brick wall and the lock-up garages. It's still a bit odd that he's here, but further up the slope, he can see beautiful golden sunshine. OK, he wasn't expecting an afterlife, but here we are. He moves into the light. Dozens of people are milling about. There's obviously a game on. He grins. This kind of afterlife will do nicely. Straight away, his next thought is Jack. Jack will be here. They can watch the 1969-70 season together. Watford's first ever in Division 2. No, wait. It's even better than that. He'll be with Jack forever now. Down on earth, they were only able to see each other on match days. His heart begins to race. He quickens his pace towards the top of the road. He's surprised there's a game, though. When the other car hit them, they were on their way back from the last game of the season. Maybe this is an end-of-season friendly to celebrate Watford's historic promotion. At the top of the slope, he stands on the gravel and looks out for Jack. He takes a moment to ask an old man who Watford are playing. When the man says it's a league game against Darlington, he frowns. Darlington are a Division 4 team. It doesn't make sense. He stops watching out for Jack and asks to look at the programme the man's carrying. The man gives it to him. He sees the date of the match in the bottom right corner on the front cover. It says, May the 14th, 1977. He stares. This is 1977. 
not 1969. Hornet Heaven Catching Up Written by Ollie Wickham Read by Colin Mace Earth Year 1977 Jack collects his Darlington program from the hut. This will be the final game of his eighth season in Hornet Heaven. He's counted 400 new Watford matches in that time, he reckons, but the boy who runs the hut, Derek Garston, tells him it's actually only 396. Whatever. It isn't a happy number. He's been to every single one of those matches without his best friend Ted, and every time it has felt like there's something missing. He and Ted became best friends as soon as they met at school, when they were five. Their first Watford match was the big FA Cup tie against Manchester United in 1950 when they were ten. After that, they went to every home game. It drew them closer together than ever. In the last year of their teens, they stood side by side watching Cliff Holton thump Watford to promotion in 1960. Well, not always side by side. Sometimes they hugged full on. It wasn't what men did on the terraces at football in those days, but he and Ted were too happy to stop themselves. The next year, they were best men at each other's weddings. That wasn't easy. Giving your lifelong mate away to someone else and they only saw each other at the football from then on. It made Saturday special, though. You could be yourself, away from the job, away from the wife. They started going to away games, long trips in Ted's Austin 1800, so they could spend more time together. In 1964, they surprised themselves. Watford lost out on promotion on the final day by losing at Luton, and Ted was more upset than Jack had ever seen. Somehow, in the Austin 1800, they ended up kissing. They knew they weren't meant to, but it felt right. They knew it should always have been like this. After that, staying in their marriages and getting together on Saturdays, the 1960s got better and better. In 1967, even the law got changed. The decade reached a peak when Ken Furphy's team won what for promotion in spring 1969 at home to Plymouth. Then, only three weeks later, came the car crash on the way back from Mansfield. He found himself here in Hornet Heaven, separated from Ted. They were both only 29. Ever since then, Jack has been looking for Ted at each new game, without luck. He can't think what could have happened. He kept an eye out for his soulmate every day for eight years. And that's why, now, after so long, his heart leaps as he sees Ted standing on the gravel at the top of Occupation Road. Ted is staring down at the gravel. He isn't looking out for Jack. He's struggling with the reality confronting him. 
He realises he must have been in a coma since the accident for eight years and then died. That's easy enough to understand. What's bothering him right now, as Watford fans hurry past him, happy in their heaven, is that he's missed so many years of following the Hornets. Since the age of 10, he's always needed to know how Watford are doing. If he hasn't been at a game, he's needed to be listening to a radio for the latest update. If a match has finished and he doesn't know the score, it's unbearable. To Ted, each scoreline forms the latest point on a graph of Watford's progress. It's a graph that has always felt like it charts his progress too. His life's ups and downs. In his 20s, he threw himself into watching the graph being plotted. He and Jack travelled the country in the Austin 1800 and Watford were on the up, which felt like an endorsement of his and Jack's progress. Society's progress, even. Every point on the graph mattered. But now, as he stands on the gravel in Hornet Heaven, he's missing eight years of data. He's lost eight years with Watford. And he's lost eight years with Jack. Suddenly, he senses someone in front of him. That person grabs Ted's arms around the elbow and says his name. Ted looks up. He can't keep up with what happens next. There's hugging, crying, kissing, and the helpless saying of each other's names over and over. He's so overwhelmed by the moment, so wonderfully lost in it, that it could be lasting eight years without his realising. He clings tight to Jack, sobbing with joy. Eventually they sit on the gravel, stunned by their happiness. They piece together how it is they've been kept apart, and Jack explains to Ted how, in Hornet Heaven, you can go to every Watford game ever, old and new. Cool, Ted says. We've got a lot of games to go to, together then. All the games there'll ever be, for the rest of eternity, Jack says. True, and that's brilliant. But what I meant is, there's eight years worth to catch up on. The years I missed. Don't tell me any details. I want to find everything out for myself. Great. But really, you know we're in Division 4 now. Do you really want to suffer the whole thing? I went to every game, so I know what it was like. You went without me? Well, you weren't here, so... OK, fine, I get it. But I haven't been. Honestly, Ted, don't bother. Watford have gone from the heights to the depths. Doesn't matter. I want to see every game to follow the story. I want to know exactly how it went. But seriously, you won't enjoy it. I will. With you. You think you will. But you'll hate it when we start losing. You'll get bored and depressed. And you'll know there's no happy ending on the way. So you'll get even more bored and depressed. OK. What? OK. You still want to go? Yes. Come with me. To every Watford game from 1969 to 1977. Again? Yes. OK. <laughs> OK. <laughs> 
Ted calculates that to catch up on eight years' worth of games, they'll need to go to five matches a day during the summer, to be up to speed in time for the start of the 1977-78 season in August. He can't wait to get started. It'll be a marathon binge by anyone's standards, but spending so much time with Jack will be a joy. Except that as soon as they get started, making back-to-back -back trips through the ancient turnstile to Watford's games in August 1969, the football itself isn't much fun. Even at five games a day, Watford don't score their first ever goal in Division 2 until the second day. Oh God, do we just go all the way down to Division 4 straight away? Ted asks. Ha! Ha <laughs> ha! You're not allowed to ask, that's the rule, Jack replies. The conversation makes Ted start to feel a distance between himself and Jack that was never there before. On the third day, they queue at the programme hut and move out of the way as an Edwardian teenager called Archibald goes round abruptly asking people if they've stolen the programmes from Saturday's game against Darlington. Then they go to Watford's first away win in Division 2 at Blackpool, back in September 1969. At the final whistle, after a goal from Colin Franks and two from Stuart Scullion in the 3-0 victory, Ted bounces into Jack's arms. Brilliant. Just brilliant. Isn't it? What an incredible feeling. But Ted knows Jack isn't experiencing the same intensity and joy because it isn't new to him. They are not totally in sync, the way they always were. Jack's bothered too. On the sixth day of the catch-up, back at the programme hut, after an away win at Bolton in the FA Cup third round that got Ted punch in the air, Jack says, Sorry, Ted, I feel like a party pooper. It's like I'm not on the beers while you are. It's fine. You don't need to be happy for Watford. Just be happy for me. That was a great win. But being happy for Ted isn't enough for Jack. He wants the two of them to be sharing exactly the same happiness which isn't going to happen when he's already experienced what Ted is catching up on. Are you sure you wouldn't enjoy it more without me? He asks. He's reassured when Ted says, I definitely want to be with you. But the reassurance doesn't last long, because Ted immediately says, Does that mean you don't want to be with me? The next day they carry on. Jack tries extra hard not to be a killjoy because there's about to be a famous FA Cup giant killing. At the home tie with Stoke, in the rookery with Ted, Jack throws himself into the celebrations with total abandon when Colin Frank slams his match-winning 25-yarder past Gordon Banks. Yes! 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 But Ted says, You're faking it, Jack. I can tell. After four more games of the catch-up, Watford are about to play in the quarter-finals of the FA Cup for the first time in history. But Ted and Jack aren't happy. They sit on the gravel at the top of Occupation Road to talk it over. Look, Jack says, there's nothing wrong between us. I want to spend every moment with you, but... OK, here it comes, the big kiss-off. Please, Ted. Don't pretend this is more than it is. It's just a situation, a temporary one, while you're trying to catch up with everything you missed. So it's my fault? Of course not. The simple fact is, going to these games together puts us on a different wavelength from each other. It'll be different when the new season starts and we're both seeing games for the first time, or when we go to old games and we both already know the score. Are you saying you want a break from me? No, that's not what I want. So what are you saying? 
that you want me to stop catching up on all the games I've missed? Well, it's an option, I suppose. Ted shakes his head. I can't miss finding out how Watford have got on. It's who I am. I know. And I love who you are. But couldn't you just read about what happened or something? Derek in the programme hut has got all the programmes and handbooks. I could fill you in on the details, you know. Add a bit of colour, if you like. Don't do this to me, Jack. I'm a Watford supporter. I want to see it all unfold for myself. Ted gets up. He goes through the ancient turnstile to Watford's FA Cup quarter-final at home to Liverpool in February 1970. On his own. Jack bows his head and wonders what he can do. There's a crowd of just over 34,000 packed into Vicarage Road for the Liverpool game. Ted goes to the rookery end and stands at the front of the shallow, heaving terrace. He joins in the singing to take his mind off Jack. It'll ruin the game if he's missing Jack. It's a cold day. There's mud, there are TV cameras, and Watford are magnificent, creating chance after chance in the first half. The Hornets should be several goals ahead. At a half-time break, Ted is bursting to talk about it all and wants that to be with Jack. Can Watford get the goal they need? Can they reach their first ever semi-final? He wants to know what Jack thinks. But Jack already knows the answers. That's why they're not together right now. 19 minutes into the second half, Stuart Scullion lays the ball back to Ray Lugg on the right wing in front of the Schrodel stand. Lugg nutmegs the Liverpool left-back and crosses. Barry Ending, dashing across the penalty box, dives at the ball and thumps a header past the Liverpool keeper and into the net. Ted closes his eyes and screams with joy. When he opens his eyes, Barry Endine is standing on a small stack of hay in front of him, yelling and punching the air at him. The hairs on the back of Ted's neck stand up. He shouts and punches the air back at Barry Endine. It's an incredible moment, an ecstatic moment. Then, for half an hour, Watford and Ted just about hang on. At the final whistle, Ted sprints to the ancient turnstile. He needs to see Jack. Back on Occupation Road, he finds Jack has been waiting for him, directly outside the turnstile, ready for this moment. Ted doesn't stop to speak. He throws himself at Jack. They hug. Jack swings him round. Ted can't remember feeling such joy ever before. They sit down on the gravel again. This time they gabble at each other. We beat Liverpool. We were all over them first half. Ray Luck's cross. Endine's header. header. They are on the same wavelength, wholly absorbed in the moment and each other. There's nothing they don't have in common. Watford beating Liverpool is now a precious shared memory and will be forever. They hug again. Maybe, Ted thinks to himself, they've stumbled on the perfect way to handle the eight seasons of games he's missed. But not every game is beating Liverpool in the quarter-final of the Cup. The next three games are boring draws against Millwall, Birmingham and Hull. Ted goes on his own, and Jack is always there outside the turnstile to discuss the game afterwards. But there's not much to discuss, and Jack can't really remember the detail of boring draws from seven and a half years ago. The next game is a big one. They're not sure how to approach it. This isn't working, Ted says. Not for bread and butter league games, no, Jack agrees. It felt better when you came to games with me. At least we were spending time together. Let's try that again. We could, 
but not for the next one. I don't think. It's the semi-final. I don't want to spoil that for you. But it's the biggest game in Watford's history. We've got to be there together. How about we go another time? When we both know how it turns out. Wait, why are you saying that? Oh God, we lose, don't we? Chelsea are going to stuff us, aren't they? You're not to ask, remember? Rules are rules. Great, thanks. You just made it obvious. What? No, I haven't. You've just ruined the biggest game in Watford's history for me. Ted gets himself a programme and goes to the semi-final at White Hart Lane. The first half is all right. It's one all at half-time. But in the end, just as he suspected, Chelsea stuff Watford 5-1. When he gets back, he brushes past Jack outside the ancient turnstile. It's all your fault. You ruined it. Bloody ruined it. Jack decides to stay out of the way over the next two days so Ted can plough on and finish off the 1969-70 season. He knows Ted won't enjoy it. Watford don't win any of the last eight games and finish just two points above the relegation zone, but maybe the disappointment will bring Ted back to him somehow, he hopes. He spends time instead with other Hornet Heaven residents, including Johnny Orgood, who was Watford's first ever manager in 1903, and whom Jack now counts as a close friend. Jack pours out his troubles to Johnny. He doesn't mind that the young Edwardian teenager Archibald is with them because Archibald never gets involved in emotions and usually seems miles away in his mind, calculating statistics or something. So how are you and Ted getting on now? Johnny asks. The semi-final was a big disappointment for Ted, obviously. I tried to console him, but he brushed me off. That's a lie. There are no brooms in Hornet Heaven, Archibald says. Johnny takes a moment to explain Jack's metaphor to Archibald. Then he replies, Ach, you'll find a way to be fine together in due course. I mean, young Archibald here and Derek in the programme hut have never been able to get on, but I'm hopeful they will, one day. In Hornet Heaven, there's plenty of time for things to sort themselves out, but I want to be back together with Ted now. Of course. In that case, would you like me to talk to him for you? I don't know. I just wish he would come back to me off his own bat. You know, because he wants to. Ah, of course. In that case, I won't say anything. I might have a think, though. On his tenth day in Hornet Heaven... Ted completes 1969-70 by watching a meaningless one-all draw against Norwich City at Carrow Road. Right, one season down, seven to go. When he's back on Occupation Road and on his way to the programme hut, an elderly man with a bald head and drooping moustache comes up to him and introduces himself. They get chatting. Ted explains how he's chewing his way through eight seasons' worth of games that he missed. Ugh! <laughs> You make it sound like hard work, Johnny Allgood says. Tell me about it, Ted replies. Apart from the cup run, 69-70 was hardly a barrel of laughs. And I know I've got a couple of relegation seasons ahead of me at some point, but it's something I have to do. I can't not know how Watford have done. It's a personal thing. Personal, I see. Well, if you ever need a break, Ted, 
There's every Watford match in history to choose from up here, so you could always take time off from your eight-season slog to go to your favourite game of all time. In fact, I'd love to know which game that was, actually. We all have different favourites. Easy. The night we won promotion to Division 2 at home to Plymouth. Ah, what a night. That was a while back now. Not for me. Only feels like a few weeks. Aye, one of the all-time greats that night was. Hey, tell you what. Do you fancy going? Right now. A few minutes later, Teddy's back in a rookery end on the night of Tuesday the 15th of April 1969 in the company of Johnny Allgood. The place is rocking. This is amazing, he says. It's incredible, being back here again, reliving it. Aye, and you'll see yourself in the crowd if you look. Where were you standing? Ted takes Johnny towards the back of the rookery, on the Shrodell side. There, that's me. And who's that you're with? The 1969 version of Ted is with Jack. They're side by side, each with an arm around the other's shoulder. They're belting out a song, in unison with all the other fans around them. Ted remembers the bond he and Jack were feeling as they witnessed a historic night for Watford Football Club. Jack, I'm with my mate Jack. Actually, it looks like you're with everyone. What a sight, the whole rookery together as one, singing their hearts out for the team. Ted looks around and sees he's just one of hundreds of excited people. He takes in their faces. He doesn't know any of them individually, but he can see that tonight means as much to them as it does to him. The game starts and Ted finds himself watching the crowd as much as the game. There's a collective energy, a connected energy, running through everyone under the rookery roof. Fans are starting chants and keeping them going, working together for the good of the team on the pitch. He's missed being properly part of this, he realises, when he's been at games on his own. So why is he going out of his way to catch up on the missed seasons, he asks himself. He went to a meaningless end-of-season draw at Norwich on his own, for goodness sake. Why did he bother? What did it actually have to do with him and his life? He turns to Johnny and says, Johnny, do you think you'd do a mammoth catch-up like I'm doing if you missed eight seasons? Ah... I don't know. Why are you doing it? Good question. That's what I'm wondering now. Why am I being so stubborn about finding out what happened, as if the matches didn't actually take place unless I know about it? <laughs> There's no observer effect. Watching football isn't quantum theory. It isn't what? Ah, sorry. Forget it. That's something young Archibald was explaining to me earlier. You're making a good point, though. Am I? What point am I making? Watching Watford isn't about you. Did I say that? Well, it's what I heard. Watching Watford isn't about any of us individually. Isn't that your point? Yes. I guess it is. Ted thinks about this for a while. Then, in the 63rd minute of the game, he watches Duncan Wellborn cross the ball. Terry Garbett heads it on and Roy Sinclair thumps a shot at goal. It bounces down. The referee signals a goal. This is the moment he recognises. When he was here the first time, it was the moment that clinched promotion. 
but this time around it's a different moment. It's the moment that he realises the mistake he's been making. As the referee whistles for the goal, the tightly packed mass of humanity around Ted surges forward down the shallow terrace towards the pitch. A flood of delirious Watford fans pour past him in one fluid movement. The tide of celebrations seems to swirl for a moment like water in a pool, then flows back towards him. He's watching a wave of communal euphoria. He gets it now. Going to matches alone, to catch up on eight seasons of Watford games he personally missed, was never going to work because being a Watford fan is a shared vibe that everyone should be part of equally. He's had it wrong. He shouts out a thank you to Johnny Allgood and sprints back to the ancient turnstile to go and find Jack. Jack is standing in the eternal sunshine on Occupation Road, chatting to a couple of friends, Fred Pagnum and Henry Grover by the programme hut. He sees Ted bursting out of the turnstile towards him. A moment later he's been swept off his feet in Ted's arms and spun round and kissed. He hears Ted announcing that he's sorry and he's back. He's lowered to the ground and he sees Ted hugging Henry Grover and Fred Pagnum. By Jove, I say. And now Ted is at the programme hut, getting a handful of programmes from Derek Garston, programmes for the most recent game against Darlington. And he's asking Henry and Paggy along to the match, and Johnny Allgood too, who's just emerged from the ancient turnstile. And Ted's taking Jack's hand, kissing it, and clasping it tight as he leads them all to the game that's the most recent for every Watford fan. The game that will plug Ted back into his relationship with Jack and start his connection with the whole Hornet Heaven community. Just over two months later, Jack and Ted go to the next new Watford match, a pre-season friendly at Vicarage Road against Oxford United at the start of the 1977-78 season. They see Johnny Allgood on the terrace with Archibald and Derek Garston and wave at them. They also see someone from the land of the living who's got green spiked hair, a leather jacket with studs and drain pipe tartan trues. It's a big change from anything they've ever seen before. But Watford really does need change in this summer of 1977, they reckon. They talk about Elton John's vision for the club's future that they saw in a Terry Chalice painting that was presented to Elton at the Darlington game. Ted clasps Jack's hand and says, how amazing would it be if that painting came true starting today? Jack says, Ha, dream on. Ted still isn't quite up to speed with Jack's natural pessimism because he hasn't been back to watch the other seven seasons of decline that he missed during his coma. He can't wait to find out what the next seven years might bring him and Jack and, of course, the whole community of Watford fans on earth and in heaven. He doesn't see why there can't be a return to rising up the divisions and beating big teams, as there was under Ken Furphy. Don't get your hopes up, Jack says. No one will ever do for us what Ken Furphy did for us. But at least in Hornet Heaven, we can always go back to our favourite old games and ignore the present day if it's terrible. I couldn't do that. I'd never want to ignore the present day, whatever it's like. But you'll hate it if we carry on losing or get relegated further. Will I? Definitely. I know you. You'll get bored and depressed. Okay. Okay. Again. As long as you promise to come with me, 
to every Watford game for the rest of all time. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's just hope something a bit more positive turns up. They kiss. And when they turn back to the Vicarage Road pitch, they see a new manager settle down on a bench for his first match. A man called Graham Taylor. The End Catching Up was written and produced by Ollie Wickham. It was read by Colin Mace. For more information on the Hornet Heaven stories, please visit hornetheaven.com.